Mic on. Greetings, folks. This is Joseph again. Welcome to the series about Revelation. This time we're going to hear the talk from the third episode about Revelation called Revelation's End Times Signs. So enjoy this presentation. Mic off. Mic on. Enjoy this information and inspiring presentation. Mic off. Mic on. Mic off. What does the future hold? Where can we find certainty in a world of uncertainty? The Book of Revelation provides hopeful answers for today, tomorrow, and forever. Join Mark Finley, author and world-renowned speaker, on a journey into the future with Revelation's Ancient Discoveries. Welcome back again to Revelation's Ancient Discoveries. I'm glad you've joined us on this journey through the book of Revelation to discover God's plan regarding the future. Let's pray together as we enter into the study tonight. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the clear light that you've given in the book of Revelation. Thank you that Jesus is the center of the book of Revelation and that we can find hope, confidence, and courage for the future. In Christ's name, amen. Our topic during this presentation is Revelation's Greatest End Time Signs. As I travel the world, one thing becomes increasingly clear to me, and that is that multiple people are confused, confused about the future. They wonder, what direction is this world headed? Can I have any confidence in bringing up my children in the future? Will tragedy strike us? So the common theme in many people's mind is bewilderment. It's confusion. It's what's really going on in our world. The book of Revelation clearly reveals God's plan for the future, and it gives us hope. It gives us confidence as we face the days ahead. From the first chapter of the book of Revelation to the last chapter of the book of Revelation, we find this hopeful message of the return of our Lord. Revelation, the first chapter, the seventh verse puts it this way, Behold, He's coming with clouds, and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of Him, even so, amen. Notice the first chapter of the book of Revelation beats with this expectation. It beats with this enthusiasm. It beats with this excitement. Jesus is coming again. When you go to the last chapter of the book of Revelation that describes the new heaven, the new earth, once again you have this clarity of the return of Christ to the world. Revelation 22 verse 20 says, He who testifies to these things says, Surely, notice the word, what's the word? What is it? Surely, certainly, definitely. Surely I'm coming again, coming very quickly. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. So the book of Revelation ends with a prayer. And the prayer is the prayer of all humanity. The prayer is that prayer that's deep within all of our hearts. We long for a better world. We long for a world where there is no sickness or suffering or sorrow. We long for a world where there is no aging and feebleness and death. 
We long for a world where there is no war, there is no heartache, there is no terrorism. We long for that new world. And so Revelation ends with this clear Bible passage. He who testifies these things says, surely or certainly I am coming quickly. Even so come Lord Jesus. But that leads us to a question. How quickly is quickly? How soon is soon? To understand the book of Revelation, it's necessary to go back and understand both the prophecies of the Old Testament, particularly the prophecies of Daniel. We've looked at that in our last presentation. And also to understand Jesus' statements about end-time events. In Matthew, the 24th chapter, Jesus himself met with the disciples on the Mount of Olives. And there, as he sat on the mount, overlooking the Kidron Valley down to Jerusalem, he looked at the temple and he said, not one stone is going to be left upon the other. The disciples thinking that the destruction of the temple was the, was the coming of Christ in the end of the age said this to Jesus, Matthew 24, verse 3, what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? They thought that an event as cataclysmic as the destruction of the temple must certainly be the end of the world. They thought that Jesus was speaking about his return. So in a masterful presentation in Matthew chapter 24 that helps to set the stage for the book of Revelation, in that presentation Jesus outlines the signs that would precede the destruction of Jerusalem and the signs that would lead up to his second coming. In Matthew chapter 24 Jesus outlines in fact more than 20 different signs of his return. Let's look at those signs in this presentation and ask yourself the question, are these events, the events that Christ talked about, are they being fulfilled? Are they taking place in our world today? In these signs of Jesus' return, he gives signs in different areas, different categories of life. He talks about signs in the world of religion. He talks about signs in the world of politics. He discusses signs in the world of nature. He talks about upheavals of nature. We're going to look at each of these areas in this presentation. He talks about signs in the world of society, what would be taking place in society just before his return. Let's go first to the signs in the area of religion. What specifically did Christ say would be taking place in the religious community or the larger spiritual community before his return? He made this prediction. Jesus said just before his return that there would be false Christs and false prophets that would explode upon the scene. In other words, false spiritual ideologies, false spiritual philosophies. He put it this way in Matthew 24, verse 24. False Christs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders. He goes on. He said they could even deceive the very elect. Now, books and magazines and movies on the occult and false spirituality are selling in the multi-millions. Jesus said false Christs and false prophets. Jesus said deceptions in the area of spirituality. Here we see books, magazines, multiplied millions. You may not be aware of the fact, but there are 3,000 astrology columns in newspapers across the United States. Many a person wakes up in the morning, they pick up the newspaper, 
turn to astrology columns to try to discover some pattern in the sky, whether they're a Leo or whether they're a Sagittarius. They, they look for their particular birth sign and they have this idea that the alignment of the stars is in some way going to impact their life. False spirituality. Many are turning to tarot cards. They're turning to the occult art, arts and artists. Some are turning to psychics. Not long ago, These Times Magazine ran an article called The Supermarket Psychics Spin the Roulette Wheel Again and pointed out, the article took a look at all of the psychic predictions in a given year. These psychic predictions were made in January. And they looked at the psychic predictions at the end of the year and saw how many of them were fulfilled. Quite amazing. Out of 250 specific published predictions, less than 3%, that's six of them, that we could list as reasonably fulfilled, 97% missed the mark completely. Now look, friend, I'm no prophet, certainly. But yet, I think I could guess by looking at world affairs and maybe, just maybe, get 3% right. 97% of the psychic's predictions were wrong. You know, when you look at the Bible, over 800 predictions that have been made very clear. Some of them you have groupings of predictions, but 800 different events predicted. 90% of them already fulfilled to 100% accuracy, 10% yet to be fulfilled. So when you look at the predictions of the psychics and you look at the predictions of the Bible, there just is no comparison. The Bible is accurate when it predicts the rise and fall of empires, when it predicts the rise and fall of kings, when it talks, for example, about Jesus and the predictions of His birth outlined in advance in the Old Testament. The psychics simply will let you down. You know, there is an interesting rage in Hollywood uh, where they've been seeking spirit guides like Mafu and Ramtha and Lazarus. You say, what in the world? Who, who are those names? They are supposed spiritual guides and you know you can call a certain number. Now I'm not going to put the 800 number on the, on the screen tonight, but it's an example of what's taking place in our world. You see, if you turn away from the Word of God, you leave yourself spiritually barren. And when you leave yourself spiritually barren, you go drinking at another fountain beside the fountain of life found in the Word of God. And so many people in Hollywood are turning to these spirit guides. And Lazarus, can you believe this, has a two-year waiting list for private consultations at $93 an hour. Or you can reach out and uh, touch Lazarus by phone for $53 for half an hour, build you a credit card, it's supposed to give you direction for the future. Hearts are empty. Men and women's souls are barren. They're looking for some certainty. And Jesus, in His Word, gives us that certainty. Signs of the end. False Christs and false prophets. According to the American Religious Identity Survey, the modern occult Wiccan, pagan, and Druid religion is now listed among the ten largest organized religions in the country. 
Teens are especially attracted to these occult movements and outnumber older converts by three to one. Can you believe that? Paganism, Wiccan, is one of the ten largest religions in America today. Continuing, in the United States during the last decade, the number of people who identify themselves as belonging to the New Age movement increased by a remarkable 247%. The interest in the occult and spirituality through various psychics is increasing day after day, week after week. And you notice the number of movies that have that occult theme or video games. According to the website www.cultclinic.org, an estimated five to seven million Americans have been involved in cults or cult-like groups. Cults are exploding not only psychics, not only tarot cards, not only spirit guides, but cult leaders are emerging. The total number of these groups in America, 3,000 to 5,000, they're approximately 180,000, can you believe it? 180,000 new cult re recruits every single year in the United States. Think of some of the cult leaders that have arisen not only in America, but around the world. Time Magazine features Shoko Ashihira, the cult of doom, and a gas sarin attack on a subway in Japan. His followers believed that he was a Messiah-like figure. Or think of Jim Jones, a number of years ago, prominent minister in America, who believed that a that Christ was in him. One of the reports indicated that Jim Jones was preaching and he had a Bible in his hands. And as people were opening their Bibles, he became so angry, he said, don't look at that book, look at me. Then on a recording from Jonestown in the jungles of Guyana, Jones said, I see Christ in me, false Christs, false prophets led over 900 people to doom in the jungles of Guyana. Or you think of David Koresh, who claimed that he indeed was the Lamb of God or had those qualities and the tragedy in Waco. All around the world tonight, all around the world today, we see the rise, false Christ, false prophets, false spirituality, exactly like Jesus Christ predicted. Africa, Joseph Kibitwere, Cardonia Merende, false Christ, false prophets, claim to be the Messiah-like figures. So what I'm describing to you is not taking place with some wild-eyed fanatic here. It seems to be pervading the entire world, the growing of the occult, growing of psychic phenomena, growing of false Christ and false prophets. Heaven's gate this was rather fascinating with Marshall Applewhite with Heaven's Gate cult. Uh, when his followers were discovered to be uh, committed suicide in a very wealthy palatial estate outside of San Diego, California, when the police were notified, the police sent out a memo for parents asking where they thought their children might be and more than 
1,500 phone calls immediately came in to the police station thinking their children might be involved in the Marshall Applewhite cult because they knew their kids were involved in cults. Yet, Jesus makes this amazing prediction about end times. You know, talk about cults. Some time ago, I was speaking at the Moscow Olympic Stadium. About 18,000 people were coming out every night. We had two sessions every evening. And as I walked onto the stage for the opening night of the meetings, I had preached in Moscow on numerous occasions. And we had preached in Polanyi University, preached in the, in the Kremlin Auditorium, and hundreds, really thousands, had come to Jesus Christ, and we had baptized hundreds of people. Walked onto the stage, opening night in the Olympic Stadium, and ladies got up out of the audience to bring me flowers. I was taking the flowers and it, because they were so appreciative of coming to Jesus, so appreciative of the Bible truths they had learned. And I went down to get a bouquet of flowers, and as I reached out, I noticed the flowers were dead. I should have known because the lady who handed me the flowers grabbed the microphone out of my hand and began shouting, Antichrist, Antichrist, this man is the Antichrist. Young men jumped up out of the audience. They began running toward the stage. Who was this woman? Mary David Christ. Well, of course, that wasn't her birth name. It was her assumed name. One of the leading cult leaders in Russia. She had 22,000 followers. They were called the White Knights. They believed that they were the good angels that were cast out of heaven. Kind of strange, the Bible says, that would be the evil angels cast out of heaven, but this is what they believed. And that they had come to earth to fight evil. She called herself Mary because she believed she was the mother of the new Christ who would establish a Davidic kingdom. Well, when she made that cry, attack, these young men rushed the stage. As they came, it was rather daunting as a speaker to see these young men running at you. But here's the good news. We had led to Jesus Christ and baptized a number of former KGB agents, a number of Russian soldiers. But when they saw their old preacher getting attacked on the stage, they hadn't forgotten their skills. So they took care of these young people quite well. For 12 nights in a row, I was attacked on the stage. And... Uh, but we finally took the stairs away from the stage and so forth. But it really illustrates to me that this cult movement and these cult movements are growing by leaps and bounds around the world. Witchcraft, communication with the dead, spellcasting, alternate realities, and other occult themes have become commonplace entertainment for children and adults alike. You take the Harry Potter series, selling multiplied millions, but what's it about? Wizards, the supernatural, men and women, youth, teenagers turning away from the sacredness of the Word of God, turning away from the promises of God's book, turning away from the clear prophetic messages, turning to the occult exactly what Jesus predicted, yet hearts that are unsatisfied. It was quite surprising that a, that a major television personality, Oprah Winfrey, made this statement. I tried to empty myself and let the spirit of Seth inhabit me. Every morning before my scenes, I lit candles and prayed every day to the ancestors. Very common television spiritualistic themes, movies, spiritualistic themes, books, spiritualistic themes, men and women going worshiping at the altars of the occult. 
Take video games, Peter Lance, a former member of the occult order of the Golden Dawn. The Golden Dawn is one of these occult uh, phenomena. And uh, he said this, video games producers are getting smarter. They lead you to sites where you can be instructed by a real-life occultist. Is there any question that we are living in the very fulfillment of the prophecies that Christ has given, false Christ, false prophets, if it were possible, Jesus said, they would deceive the very, very elect. Some movements are claiming the ability to work miracles. Th certainly, the Bible teaches that miracles can be worked, but not by an occult artist, but by men and women who have strong faith in Christ and lead men and women to the truth of His Word. Can the devil work miracles? Revelation chapter 16, verse 14, commenting on the words of Christ, for they are the spirits of what? What are they the spirits of? What does Scripture say? They are the spirits of demons performing signs, some translations say miracles, which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Now, here's what the Bible predicts. If you take the predictions of Jesus, you put them with the predictions of Revelation. Here's what it says. These false Christs and false prophets will arise. People will turn from the living Word of God. Then the world will be descending into chaos, into famine, into bloodshed, into terrorism, into war. As that takes place, false religious movements will take place, claiming miracles, and the kings of the earth will look to those miracle workers. Church and state will unite. This will lead to earth's final battle between good and evil called Armageddon. The stage is being set for that exactly like we see it in Scripture. So beware, my friend, if any religious teacher leads you from the Bible. Beware of religious teachers who superimpose their own opinions rather than the Word of God. The Word of God is our only safeguard. I love that old poem, what says the Bible, the blessed Bible to me? The teachings of men may often mislead me, but this my only question be, what says the Bible, the precious Bible to me? Jesus gives us signs of His soon return. Signs in the religious world, we see they're being fulfilled. What about signs in the political world? What would be happening in the world of government? Well, first Jesus says there would be war and rumors of war. Somebody says, haven't we always had war down through the centuries? Indeed, we have. But notice our text. It doesn't say there would be a war, not a single war. Matthew 24, verse 6, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Notice it's in the plural. Notice it's multiple. Jesus goes on to say kingdom would rise against kingdom and nation would rise against nation. So here you have this growing amount of war. We've had wars down through the centuries. But may I remind you that in the 20th century, we had the first and second world war, the only world wars in history. Jesus predicted, of course, that just before the end, there would be international. He didn't say there'd be a war. He said kingdom would rise against kingdom. Famines would take place, yes, but there would be wars and rumors of wars. In other words, these nations would enter into world war. In the 20th century, there were 165 wars which killed more than 6,000 people. 
Five of these claimed more than six million victims, and during the 20th century, 100, can you believe it, 180 million deaths from war alone. Think of the 21st century. Wars haven't stopped. There is the Second Congo War, war on terrorism, Defar conflict, Israeli-Lebanese conflict, Russia and Georgia conflict, Balochistan War, Burundi Civil War, Ivory Coast Civil War, India-Bangladesh, Ethiopia-Somalia War, Yemen Civil War, Ukraine Civil War, Gaza War, in ISIS insurgency, and we go on and on and on right now. Tension in this world. You look at the nations of the world, tension with Iran, tension with North Korea. What is on the horizon? Jesus predicted. There would be wars and rumors of wars. Now, in addition to wars, Christ said they would be arming for war, but they would be talking about peace, fragile peace agreements. In Scripture, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 3, when they say, what is it? When they say what? Peace and safety. Then sudden destruction comes on them, and they shall not escape. So here's the picture that Jesus gives. Nations rising against nation, wars and rumors of war. But then Jesus says that they'll be talking about peace. He inspires the Apostle Paul to write it down. They'll say peace and safety. Now, another word for safety is security. So there'll be peace, saying peace and security all the time while they're arming for war. Now, think about the 20th century, for example. You think about the Treaty of Versailles in June 28, 1919, that leads to the League of Nations, supposedly a League of Nations united to solve the problem of war. But right on the heels of that, we enter into the Second World War. And then the United Nations, established 1945, try to have the war, the Second World War, to end all wars. UN is established, but again, after that, conflict and war all around the world. Now, things are becoming more serious. If you look at the book of Revelation, for example, it helps you to understand that Jesus talks about the potential for world destruction. See, some people say, well, you've always had war, so why is that significant? I've already pointed out that it's because it's on a global international scale. But here's a prophecy that could only be fulfilled in this generation. It's a prophecy based on the book of Revelation, the 11th chapter and the 18th verse. The Bible says this, the nations were angry, and your wrath has come in the time of the dead that they should be judged. So when's that, the time of the dead that they should be judged? Well, when Jesus comes, of course, shortly before that, you've got the judgment. Christ comes, and the righteous dead are resurrected, the righteous living caught up to meet Him in the sky. So notice, this is end time. Again, back to the text. The nations were angry, your wrath has come, the time of the dead that they should be judged, and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints, and we continue here in the text, those that fear your name, small and great, and should do what? Destroy those who destroy the earth. So Jesus is going to come at a time when the human race has the capacity to destroy itself. Christ is going to come at a time when the human race has the nuclear arsenal that could destroy all of life on planet Earth. Never before in history has that reality been true. If you look down through the ages, men and women had implements of war that could destroy thousands in an individual battle. 
but they could not destroy the entire human race. We see today that with nuclear weaponry, the entire human race could be destroyed. When the atomic bomb was exploded there in Hiroshima and Nagasaki in 1945, William Ripley of Believe It or Not fame said this. He said, I'm standing on the place where the end of the world began. Charles Urey, nuclear scientist, said, I write this to frighten you. All scientists I know are frightened men, frightened for their lives and frightened for your life. Today, the designated nuclear weapon states are United States, Russia, United Kingdom, France, and China, known to or believed to possess nuclear weapons, India, Pakistan, Israel, certainly Iran, and North Korea now is on the verge of getting a nuclear weapon. What would happen? If there was an international conflagration, an international war with nuclear weapons being used, it could destroy life on planet Earth. In fact, a team of scientists at Rutgers, the State University of New, New Jersey, and the University of Colorado at Boulder and UCLA said this, even a small-scale regional nuclear war could produce as many direct fatalities as all of World War II and disrupt the global climate for a decade or more with environmental effects that could be devastating for anyone on Earth. This is not some wild-eyed fanatic preaching. It is rather a group, a consortium of scientists, and these scientists are making all the difference in the world as they're talking to men and women, pointing out that there's incredible fear in our world. They are making this amazing difference. You know, popular mechanics said when terrorists go nuclear, what if terrorists got the uranium? What if terrorists could go nuclear? What indeed would happen if that ever indeed took place? Luke 21 verse 26 says, men's hearts failing them for fear and for the expectation of things that are coming on the earth. Men's hearts, women's hearts, terrorized, failing them for what? For fear. When you think about nuclear weaponry, when you think about nuclear war, men and women's hearts indeed are shaking. Thank God there's an answer. These signs need not frighten us. These signs need not trouble us. These signs need not grip us with fear because we know that they're signposts that Jesus is coming. In fact, Jesus talks about His return as the blessed hope. There is hope on the way. This old earth is groaning with pain, longing to be delivered, and soon Jesus will come. The powers of heaven will be shaken, the Bible says. But yet this is a sign of the coming of Christ, signs in the air of religion, signs in the area of politics, signs in the area of nuclear war. What are these signs telling us? They're telling us that Christ is on the way. They're telling us that one day Jesus will stream down the corner of the sky in glory. They're telling us that we're on the verge of the eternal world, that Jesus Christ is soon to come. Let's look at signs in the area of nature. What would take place? Now, mark this carefully. No one sign indicates that Jesus is going to come soon. No one sign reveals that Christ is here at the doors. 
Now, the Bible doesn't tell us the day or the hour of Christ's coming, but when you see all of the signs taking place all the time, you know that Jesus' coming is near. Jesus talks about famine. He says in Matthew 24, verse 7, for example, there'll be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in different places. There'll be famines. We've always had famines in somewhat of an isolated way. We've always had famines in somewhat of a limited capacity. But before the end of time, there would be worldwide hunger. Children and adults starving to death becoming very, very commonplace. The United Nations reported that there's a food shortage in 38 different countries in the world today. One-sixth of the population of the world is malnourished. In fact, 10,000 people every day, 3.5 million a year. It's staggering. We can often sit in our Western homes not sensing the starvation around the world. We sit gorging ourselves with gourmet foods when the world is many children are dying of starvation. This is a sign. How much longer will Jesus delay? Every starving child, every mama that's thin and run out of her breast milk to feed the child, every hungry man cries out, Oh, Jesus! come quickly to our world. Drought in the Horn of Africa in 2011 resulted in the death of tens of thousands. Around the world, we see the signs Jesus Christ is to come soon. The Bible says there'll be famines and pestilences. What is a pestilence? A pestilence is a strange disease that affects either crops or human beings. Here's what Jesus says, Matthew 24, verse 7, There'll be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in various places. Pestilences, it's kind of a big word, strange word, an unfamiliar word to some. Pestilences, we get the word pesticides from it. A pestilence is a strange disease. It afflicts the crops, afflicts human beings, afflicts the environment. The World Health Organization, 2016, talks about how these pestilences are affecting all humanity. And it says every year, there are more than one billion cases, staggering, a billion, and over one million deaths from vector-borne, that's pestilence diseases, such as malaria, Danang, schistomiasis, human African tropsomiasis, leishmaniasis, Chagas disease, yellow fever, Japanese encephalitis, and enterocyasis globally. One billion cases of diseases that were unknown centuries ago. Warning to humanity. A group of scientists got together. They issued what they called a warning to humanity. No more than one or a few decades. Did you get that? One or a few decades. Remain before the chance to avert the new threats we now confront will be lost and the prospects of humanity immeasurably diminished. What were they talking about? They were talking about the pestilences in our world. They were talking about the pollution of the waterways, the pollution of the atmosphere. They were talking about human man-made disasters that are occurring. Jesus said, false Christs and false prophets, psychic phenomena, we see that taking place all around us. Jesus said wars and rumors of wars, international conflict, we see that taking place. Jesus said peace movements, peace and security, peace treaties being signed. And I should say this, as Christians, we applaud 
the best efforts for peace. We are people of peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. But yet we recognize that the human solutions for peace will never accomplish their ultimate goal because of the degenerate, corruptive nature of human beings' hearts until Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, comes. But Jesus goes on. He says there'll be famines. We see worldwide hunger. He says there'll be pestilences, pollution of the environment. All of these signs are taking place, not one, not two, but all of these signs taking place at the same time around the world. Jesus says there'll be famines, there'll be pestilences, and there will be earthquakes. Notice Matthew 24, verse 7. There'll be pestilences, there'll be famines, there'll be earthquakes in various places. There's a whole lot of shaking going on. You know, it's estimated that the world currently experiences 50 earthquakes a day and nearly 20,000 a year. But somebody says, wait a minute, it's just that we have more measurable devices today. We can measure them a lot better. Not so. The earthquakes that are taking place and the magnitude that they're taking place don't need some device that measures a mild earthquake. We are talking about significant earthquakes that are pretty easily visible. Since the turn of the millennium, that's since the year 2000, it's been estimated that there have been over 800,000 deaths from earthquakes and related tsunamis. See, Jesus is talking about natural disasters. It seems that this whole earth is longing, it's convulsing, getting ready for the coming of Jesus Christ. Re Luke chapter 21, verse 11, there'll be great earthquakes in various places. Great earthquakes, the Bible says, not minor earthquakes. Luke adds great earthquakes and famines and pestilences. Now, notice what else. There'll be, what does it say? Notice it on the screen. Luke chapter 21, verse 11. There'll be fearful sights, great signs from the heaven, tornadoes, hurricanes, natural disasters that are unprecedented in our day, upheavals in nature. We see a rapid increase in these natural disasters. This is no accident. What is God saying to us? He's saying it's time. It's time. It's time to get ready for my return. It's time to open your heart. It's a time to make a full commitment to Jesus Christ. It is indeed time. When you look at these natural disasters, you know what else they say? There is no security in anything earthly. You can spend your whole life to buy a home and have it washed away quickly. You can spend your whole life training for a particular job. You can have your dream house and your dream job, and it can be gone instantly. There is no security in our wealth, no security in material possessions. There is one that is secure. Remember that parable that Jesus told? Build your house, that is your life, on the solid rock of Christ. A commitment to Christ gives you security in the trials, in the difficulties of life. You know, these natural disasters are signs. They are really signs of the return of our Lord. Think of the natural disasters in America recently. There's Hurricane Irma, Hurricane Maria. You look at the Hurricane Harvey. You see Houston, Texas, under a third of it underwater. You see Florida devastated, southern Florida by the flooding. You see Puerto Rico, power out, lights out. 
see the island of Dominica and uh, Barbuta trying to recover from the tremendous hurricanes that devastated those islands. Natural disasters are all around us, but the Bible says there'll be signs in the world of society. In other words, social values will be falling apart. Things that we used to once be able to count on, things like morality, things like sexual purity, things like honesty, things like integrity, these things will be in many areas, many venues, they will be a thing of the past. There would be moral decay in our society. The moral values that we find in Scripture, God leading one man and one woman in the sacred estate of matrimony. Today, marriage is under attack. Divorce is rampant. Men with men, women with women. The moral decay is prolific in our society. Notice what the Bible says, Matthew, the 24th chapter, verse 37 and 38, but as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark. Notice two things about the text. First, they were unaware. They were living on the knife edge of that flood, living on the verge of destruction of this planet by water. But they went on eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. So the first emphasis in the text was that life seemed to be going on as normal. People felt that Noah was a crazy man. Next, they're eating and drinking. What's wrong with that? Nothing if you eat and drink the right things. They're eating and drinking. Gluttony, drinking, alcohol is prolific. Marrying and giving in marriage, not only marrying, but divorce becomes commonplace. You see in the Bible, this description of the social condition of our time, people trying to find some kind of peace and tranquility, some kind of relief from the stress of their lives and drowning themselves in alcohol only to destroy their brain and destroy their bodies. Like it was in the days of Noah, we find today our society on the verge of moral decay. The breakup of the family unit is commonplace in our society. More children are being raised in one-parent homes, absent of a father. Drug culture is prolific, rampant in America today. Crime in many of our inner cities is out of control. Uh, many children are constantly being bombarded with the arguments of their parents, and they are living in homes that have gone through the trauma, the tragedy, the heartache of divorce. Yet Jesus has a solution. Christ says, come to me and find hope, find security, find new life, find a rekindled love in your marriage, find new joy and new purpose, new meaning in living. When we see these signs, what thoughts come to our mind? Not thoughts of fear, but thoughts of hope. We sense that our Lord is soon to come. The Bible talks about rising crime and rising violence, as it was in the days of Noah. What was it like in Noah's day? Genesis, the sixth chapter, the 11th and 12th verse. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. What two words do you see in the text? What are they? That's right. The earth was what? Corrupt. That is moral decay. And the earth was filled with violence. We live in a violent society. We live in a crime-riddled society. So, 
God looked upon the earth, Genesis 6, verse 11 and 12, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way before the earth. If God does not resurrect Sodom and Gomorrah and apologize to them, He indeed is going to have to keep from destroying this world because the sins of our world are worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. The sins of our world are coming up before God in judgment. The handwriting is on the wall. Soon, Jesus Christ is indeed going to come. Here is the World Health Organization report 2014. 475,000 homicide deaths a year. One in four children have been physically abused. One in three women have been the victim of abuse. Talk about a corrupt, violent world. One in 17 older people have been abused in the past month. The figures are absolutely staggering. Now, you add to that the economic uncertainty of our world. America particularly has borrowed and borrowed and borrowed till the debt is in the multiplied trillions of dollars, you know, 16 trillion, 17 trillion. Some economists predict it will go to 20 trillion. How can we continue to live on this slender thread of economic uncertainty? James chapter 5 verse 1 to 3 predicts something about the economy in the last days. Come now, you rich Weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded. And their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. What is the text saying? It's saying there'll be a rapid, sudden economic collapse. Now, if you add to that Revelation, the 18th chapter and the 17th verse, for in one hour such riches came to nothing. So, the Bible predicts that there will be a sudden, rapid economic collapse just before the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We see the table being set for that in the rising debt of nations in America, the rising debt of states, and you think of Europe and the accumulated debt in countries that are declaring bankruptcy, we see these prophecies being fulfilled all around us. We see all around us earthquake, famine, fire, flood. We see all around us war and violence. We see these signs being fulfilled right before our eyes. You take the Bible and you compare the Bible to what's taking place in the newspaper today, and you begin to look at the newspaper in one hand, the Bible in another hand, and you see the prediction, false Christ, false prophets, that indeed is being fulfilled. Rise in psychic phenomena, fulfilled. Rise in the occult, fulfilled. Movies, books filled with these themes, fulfilled. You see wars and rumors of wars, international conflict, read it in the newspaper, fulfilled. You see cries of peace but no peace, read it in the Bible, read it in the newspaper. Peace treaties barely dry when another conflict breaks out. Famines, pestilences, earthquakes, all around us these signs are being fulfilled. Sexual immorality, 
constantly being fulfilled, uh, not a distinction in marriage between the sexes. When you look at homes that are falling apart in divorce, you see violence filling our land. You see economic uncertainty right around the corner. Indeed, these prophecies are dramatically being fulfilled before our very eyes. But there's one final prediction, one amazing prediction that will take place before the coming of Jesus. And one of the reasons that I personally believe that we are on the verge of eternity and Christ is coming soon is because of this. Jesus predicts that before His return, the gospel will go to all the world. It will go rapidly through radio. It'll go rapidly through television. It'll go rapidly through internet. It'll go rapidly through the printed page. It'll go rapidly through believers who are witnessing of Jesus Christ. Here's what the Bible says. Matthew 24, verse 14, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world, not part of the world, all the world, as a witness to all nations. Then the end will come. We see that prophecy of Jesus Christ, this final prophecy being fulfilled all around the world. Revelation chapter 14, verse 6 says, I saw another angel. In other words, a heavenly messenger with a message to go to the ends of the earth flying in the middle of heaven. The angel does not float, he flies. Flying indicates rapidity. Flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. The gospel will leap across geographical boundaries. The gospel will penetrate into the darkest, remotest jungle areas. The gospel will go into the great cities of our world. The gospel will touch hearts all around the world. Countries closed will be open. Totalitarian regimes will crumble, and we will see powerfully the gospel going. I know that to be true. Soon after the fall of communism, we had the opportunity to go to the former Soviet Union. I stood on the platform there in the Kremlin and opened the Word of God to over 13,000 people, 6,500 in the first session, 6,500 in the second session that night, and we saw the moving of the Holy Spirit travel around the world. Come with me and watch what God is doing. Come to Asia and hear as we preach the Word of God. Thousands and thousands came to Christ. The gospel is going around the world. Men and women are accepting the living Christ. Or come with me to the amazing continent of Africa and see more than 20,000 baptized on a single day. It's Pentecost all over again. God is on the move. The Holy Spirit is working. Doors once closed are being miraculously opened to the gospel. God is doing something, whether it's in the remotest jungle areas where God is giving primitive tribes dreams and missionaries come and the tribe leaders say to them, we saw you coming in our dream. Around the world, God is moving. Whether it's Asia, whether it's China, where we were recently and preached the living Word of God and saw hundreds come to Christ. Whether it is Africa, Inter-America, South America. Recently, I was in Argentina and saw 16,000 people at our meetings with 1,600 make decisions to accept Jesus Christ. Something unusual is happening around the world. God is on the move. But you say to me, I sense, Pastor, that these signs are being fulfilled all around us. 
I sense that we're living on the knife edge of eternity. I sense, yes, false Christs and false prophets. That's being fulfilled. Wars and rumors of wars, peace movements, famines and earthquakes and floods and pestilences. I see that, Pastor. Crime and violence on every hand, disintegration of the family unit, economic uncertainty, the gospel going to the ends of the earth. But I want to know one thing. I want to know, how can I be ready for the coming of Jesus? Without Him, without Him, there is no way that you and I can be saved. But with Him, there's no way that we can be lost. In Jesus, and by Jesus, and through Jesus, and because of Jesus, we need not fear. Listen as Tim sings, without Him. Without Him, I could do nothing. Without Him, I surely fail. Without Him, I would be dying. Like a ship without a sail. Without Him, I would be dying. Without Him, I'd be enslaved. Without Him, life would be not be without Him. Did you notice the words of the song? Without Him, I would be enslaved. Without Jesus Christ, all of us live in the bondage of sin and are enslaved. If we're going to be ready for the coming of Christ, to live in His kingdom tomorrow, His kingdom must reign in our hearts right now. Would you like to open your heart to this Christ? Maybe there is something in your life 
that's keeping you from being ready for his return. Maybe, just maybe, you've never fully accepted him before. This is your night. This for you is decision night. God did not lead you to this telecast by accident. In the divine providence of God, He brought you to this station this night to make an eternal decision for Christ for all eternity. You say, but how do I make that decision? It is a simple act of the will. It is simply saying, Jesus, I am yours. Jesus, I accept you. Jesus, I want you to come into my life. Jesus, I give you my life tonight. Would you like to make that decision right now as I pray? Father in heaven, right now, hundreds, thousands of people are opening their hearts to you. Many are accepting you for the first time. Come, Lord, hold them in your arms, whisper in their ears, give them hope and encouragement, help them to know that you are the living Christ. Help them to know that you can forgive their sins. Help them to know that there is peace in Christ. Help them to know that we need not be enslaved. We need not be shackled with the habits of life. May the power of the living God come down right now and touch somebody for your kingdom. And Father, thank you that we need not fear. Thank you that the signs of the times need not trouble us, that they are signs of hope that our Jesus is soon to come. And may our hearts be filled with that hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for Revelation's Ancient Discoveries. We're setting the background in this series, so you're not going to want to miss one of these programs. Each program is like a link in a connected chain that links to the next program. Every presentation shares another one of the biblical prophecies from the book of Revelation. Remember, Revelation's central theme is Jesus, and Jesus is coming again. From the first chapter of the book of Revelation to the last chapter of the book of Revelation, I look forward to seeing you on the next presentation of Revelation's Ancient Discoveries. Be sure to mark your calendar and join us then. Good night and God bless you.
mic on. This completes the revelation. This, this completes the third part of revelation, and it was called mic off. Mike on. Revelations Greatest End Times. Till next time, bye bye. Mike off.